You know, the Magi, or wise men, uh, in the Christmas narrative recorded by Matthew, ask a question that's relevant to all of us. They ask, where is the king? Where is this unique king who was prophesied of almost 1,500 years before his birth in a manger in the little town of Bethlehem? If we go seeking after him, where might we expect to find him? And so far, the narrative has provided two key answers to that question that we've looked at in the past couple of weeks. First, he's present with us. He's among the people. And second, he's worshipped by the wise. And we need to commit to our own journey towards faith and, and let nothing hold us back. But as we continue in this Advent season, what we pretty quickly see in this one-of-a-kind season in which heaven came to earth is that this long-awaited king who was promised to come and deliver us all turned out not to be so welcome here. So Matthew tells us as we pick up the story where we left off last week in Matthew 2, beginning in verse 13, that when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. <laughs> so he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, clearly, this is the part of the Christmas story that isn't quite so warm and tender. We'd much rather focus on baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the angels and the manger scene and the shepherds and the wise men. But the fact is, another key character in the plot of the story is King Herod. And he makes a formidable antagonist. In fact, there's good reason that nobody hangs King Herod ornaments on their Christmas trees or has a King Herod figurine in their nativity set. Because he's the antithesis of Christmas. Herod had been selected by Rome to be their puppet king to manage their occupied territory of Israel. And so he had a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. Now, it's important to understand that the typical Jewish expectation, uh, expectation of the Messiah was that he would be a political figure rather than a spiritual savior. And that's why Herod, in particular, would have seen him as a threat. Like the world at large, you know, he was fine with religion as long as it served his purposes and didn't get in the way of his ambitions. But when it posed a threat to his plans and his desires, then he wanted nothing to do with it and even became hostile towards it. So having been outwitted by the Magi, whom God directed home a different way, Herod was furious, and I'm sure that his original plan was to find out where this special child was and then send a few soldiers to quietly do his dirty work of murdering the child. But having been thwarted in that plan, he wasn't going to be deterred, and he activated Plan B, which turned out to be a lot messier and way more disruptive of the peace. But 
I'm sure he felt would be just as effective. Kill them all. Like kill all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem. Kill them all the way up to two years old, just to be extra sure that there was no mistake. I mean, can you even imagine it? Bethlehem was a small village, so we're not talking thousands or hundreds of slain children, but even one is too many. And those are the lengths that Herod was willing to go to, to go to to do away with Jesus. And Herod was only the first of many who saw Jesus the king as a threat and wanted to get rid of him. Of course, you probably remember how that later the hypocritical and self-serving chief priests and other spiritual authorities would decide that only his execution would quell his influence and stifle his movement. Roman soldiers would gleefully torture him, mock him while they did it. The fickle crowds would even turn on him and demand his crucifixion. Jesus and his own have always been hated by the world. And that hasn't changed. The reason that people hate him today is the same reason that they hated him then. They're afraid that he's come to take the best things in their life away from them. Herod thought Jesus would want to take away his throne, take away his position. The temple leaders and teachers thought he was going to take away their followers and, and thus their significance. The crowds felt like he was taking away their only hope of freedom. So they all hated him. But they were also all wrong about him. Because Jesus didn't want Herod's throne. He posed no actual threat to Herod's position at all. Jesus wanted to reign in Herod's heart. He didn't want to take anything that was good and precious away from Herod. He wanted to give Herod new values, new perspective, a new heart that would have allowed him to reign with wisdom and grace instead of with the butchery and brutality that he was known for, not just because of the infanticide of Bethlehem's baby boys, but many other brutal uh, murders that history has attributed to him. Jesus didn't want to take away the religious leader's influence. He wanted to reign in their hearts, too, so that their influence would be for good instead of bad and multiplied a thousand times over by the inner transformation that they could be known for. Jesus didn't come to take away the people's hope for freedom, either. While he had no plans to chase Rome out of Israel, he did come to offer them freedom. But it was a freedom that no earthly political power or military force could ever take away from them. He wanted to free them from a tyranny that was much further reaching and far more oppressive than the Roman government. And that's the tyranny of the evil in their own hearts. See, what I'm saying is that the very reason the enemies of Jesus hated him was based on a grave misunderstanding of who he was and what he came to do. Jesus didn't come to take the best things in life away from us, but to give us a new heart. One that can receive and experience what actually are the best things in life and the best things in eternity. See, the world hates Jesus to its own disadvantage. And what does their hatred accomplish? What good did Herod do in trying to get rid of Jesus? None. In his unfounded paranoia, he took the gift of life 
from who knows how many children and did it out of the most selfish motives. And the same tragic thing continues to happen in our world today. Matthew describes the terrible grief that overwhelmed the community by alluding to a scene painted by the words of the prophet Jeremiah. He said in verse 18, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. See, Rachel was the wife of the great patriarch Jacob and one of the Jews' great ancestors. In his hatred of Jesus, Herod brought nothing but immense loss and grief. What good did the religious leaders do trying to get rid of Jesus? They didn't do any good either. They broke their own laws. They made a mockery of their own religious practices and moral teachings. And they gave away any trace of integrity that they had. They incited a riot got an innocent man murdered, and were it not for the grace and power of God, would have extinguished the light that for once was visible in the people's eyes because of the hope that he had brought them. Because of what they did, by God's decree, the Romans ransacked Jerusalem a few decades later and burned the temple to the ground. What good did the crowds do? screaming for Jesus' life and ministry to be brought to an end. They just allowed themselves to be used and manipulated by those in power. They lost access to the healing power of Jesus and his voice that had inspired them to, to dream of a new way of being. They became accomplices to the terrible injustice that has haunted their history ever since. See, nothing good came from the world's hatred of Jesus. Well, nothing except one, the very thing that God planned to bring about out of it. Because of their hatred, Jesus ended up on a cross, suffering and dying as a substitute for every man and woman and child so that he could bring us forgiveness and eternal life. That's what he's always wanted to do. What is there to hate about the epitome of love and truth and compassion and self-sacrifice. When the world hates Jesus, they hate only what they don't understand. And they hate him to their own detriment and ruin. You know, there's a popular social narrative out there that keeps going around that most of the world's violence and hatred and war is due to religion, including Christianity. In fact, I saw a bumper sticker just the other day that said, no exist, instead of the popular coexist that you've probably seen. And underneath no exist, it said, imagine no religion. Tragically, there are terrible things that have been done in history in the name of God, even in the name of Christ. But is God the one that's responsible when we misuse his name? Is it we? who are responsible. Jesus would be the first to denounce the evil things that have been done in his name. They do not in any way represent who he is or what he's about. They're simply the attempts of human beings to use the power and influence of his name to accomplish their own evil purposes. But on the other hand, 
what is so often ignored, or maybe people are just genuinely unaware of, is the tremendous unequaled good that has come to our world through the teachings and values of Jesus being spread. I mean, it's because of the influence of Jesus that we have the concept of servant leadership, for instance, using one's power humbly to serve the needs of others. It's because of Jesus that the formation and presence of charities exists in our world today, which help the helpless. It's because of the teachings of Jesus that hospitals were first introduced into society. Many of the most foundational scientific discoveries and breakthroughs grew out of great minds who were driven and guided by their own admission, by their faith in God. Many of the world's most recognized and admired works of art were inspired by the Christian faith. The American Civil Rights Movement began and was shaped and fueled to a huge extent by Christian leaders who understood the heart of Jesus for all people and followed his way of overcoming evil with good. On and on the list could go. The ethic of forgiveness that Jesus taught and modeled and self-sacrificing love. It just makes you stop and wonder how anyone could hate the one who has brought such unequaled good to the world. But Jesus himself said in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. He came into this world with a message of love and peace and goodwill. And people hated him for it. But we choose to follow him. And when we do, we can begin to make this world a better place. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And that's what he came to bring. Peace with God, peace in our relationships. But at the same time, Jesus knew that his coming would inevitably stir up trouble and conflict. Because there will always be those who don't want peace. There will always be those who at least don't want peace on his terms. And yet it's ironic how much they envy the peace of those who have it. See, as a grown man, Jesus would later say in Matthew chapter 10, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. It's not what he wanted, but he knew it would happen. People would be divided over him, and they still are. The way to peace is right there in front of us, although many will not take it. But that doesn't mean that we can't. We can take the way of peace that Jesus taught. And while it may actually stir up more conflict in some spaces and some relationships, the peace that we have with God and the peace that we have within ourselves far outweighs what conflict it sometimes brings from those who just don't understand and we get to practice right here within the church the peaceful way of Jesus Christ with each other. That's what the church should be. That's what the church is, wherever hearts are truly submitted to Jesus. See, the church is God's genius. The church is a model 
to the unbelieving world of the peace that is possible when the king is reigning in our hearts and in our relationships. And isn't it a beautiful thing? We have people from all over the place here in Cross Trail Community Church. We have people from different ethnicities, different skin colors, different Christian traditions that they came from, different political leanings, different opinions on many things. And yet we genuinely love and care about and respect each other. We even like each other. And we're able to do life together. Why? Why, why can we do that when the rest of the world can't? Because Jesus is the king of all of us. And he is our prince of peace. I think of what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 14. He said, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. That's the peace that Jesus introduced to this world when he came. And this text challenges us to be agents of that peace in our relationships with each other and also in our community. Now, to get back to the Christmas narrative, baby Jesus and his parents had to flee to Egypt because they were hated by the world. And as crazy as all of this had been for Mary and Joseph already, now their anxiety had to be at a whole different level. Having to flee their homeland, leaving their families behind, no notice. Joseph having to leave his carpentry business behind, going to a foreign land where they didn't know the language or the customs, with no home, no job, and no plan. How in the world was this even going to work? You know, the troubles of this world are relentless, aren't they? They always try to steal our peace, and they will, but only if we let them. We don't have to let them. Mary and Joseph were on the run, but they had Jesus with them. And he might have been hated by Herod, might have been hated by the world, but Jesus and his own will always be loved by God. See, God initially protects Jesus from Herod's hatred by sending an angel to warn Joseph about this impending slaughter, even tells him where to go, to Egypt. Turns out that there were several Jewish communities already established at this time in a few of the major Egyptian cities, according to secular history. So God sent them to a safe place where they could find one of those Jewish communities that would welcome them in. But still, I mean, how would they be able to provide for themselves? on this journey there and for however long it would take, you know, just to get themselves established in this new country. Well, God had already taken care of that too. Remember the Magi who had just left? They had brought expensive gifts, remember? Of gold, precious spices, which could easily have funded their relocation and their living expenses for probably quite some time. Point being, 
Though he was hated by the world, God cared for Jesus the way a father cares for his son. In fact, remember Matthew comments there in verse, in, in verse 15, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Jesus is the king of kings because he is the son of the most high. And you and I are sons and daughters of the most high. And even though the world may hate us because of our allegiance to Jesus, God loves us. And he is faithful to take care of his own. Psalm 27, verse 1, one of those great verses, says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That's a truth to live by. So here's the next step. Live your life for God's approval, not people's approval. Live your life for God's approval. We all want to be liked. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be thought well of. But it's so much more important to be accepted and thought well of by God. If people applaud you, but God is against you, you're playing to the wrong audience. His evaluation is the only one that's going to matter in the end. And if you stand with his son, your day of vindication is coming. 